Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. John, what are you going to do now that you're back home? There's this old news footage back from 1968, right after Tommy Smith and John Carlos land in the Bay Area. Tommy and John are two athletes from San Jose State University who just won Olympic gold and bronze for the U.S. in Mexico City. While they are up on the medal stand, they make a very public salute to black power, a gesture that had immediate consequences for both of them. This week marks the 50th anniversary of the 1968 Olympics, where athlete activists protested the institutional racism and discrimination in the U.S. And it all started with athletes right here in the Bay Area. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. You look up the phrase political foment, Devin, in the dictionary, and you find 1968. Rachel Myro covers Silicon Valley for KQED. It was happening on a national level with the assassinations of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy. It was happening with riots, Vietnam War protests. This was at the height of the civil rights era. And at the same time all these huge moments in American history were going down, San Jose State University was making a name for itself. This was the time when San Jose State University was known as Speed City. Why was it nicknamed Speed City? It was something that started in the 1940s and was in full swing by the 1960s when Tommy Smith and John Carlos arrived. We had the fastest people in the world. I mean, you're fast if you you went to San Jose State. You had to be. A lot of the credit goes to this legendary head coach, Lloyd Bud Winter. Coach Winter teaches, adequate extension must be developed through special exercise. The way he he taught them about stride really just helped take these people who were already incredibly talented and just push it to the next level. There are so many guys that that you you, you can hardly count them. A lot of the young men at that time talk about coming to the San Jose State campus precisely because they wanted to be on this team of superstars. But San Jose State was also fighting for its own civil rights, along with the national fight. Black students were facing racism and housing discrimination. 
Racial discrimination at San Jose State College seemed to center around two major problems. One of them, housing. In this case, discrimination in both on and off campus housing for minority group members. There was one guy, a fellow athlete, he threw the discus. His name was Harry Edwards. The 1960s, um, as I've stated, the period 1963 through 1968 was probably the most uh, violent and deadly political five years since... And he started a group called Olympic Project for Human Rights. And originally, that group called for a boycott of the Olympics altogether. And this call for a boycott put athletes like Tommy Smith and John Carlos in this awkward position. uh, uh, Your biggest desire was to to go to the Olympics. Has it made any difference in your desire? Uh, No, I do have a desire to participate in the 1968 Olympic Games, but I also have a dignity to look up to and look forward to. The boycott never ended up happening. And so in the fall of 1968, the U.S. team, including Tommy Smith and John Carlos, got on a plane and left for Mexico City, which was going through its own human and civil rights crisis at the time. They get to Mexico City and the streets are literally being cleaned of blood because there was a massacre. Government troops massacred students protesting that country's authoritative government just before the Olympics. Wow. On October 12, 1968, the Olympic torch for the first time reached Latin America, renewing in Mexico City its message to the world. Unity of spirit. There was this very charged atmosphere that these athletes were operating in at home and as they arrived at the games. So it's October 16th, 1968, and Tommy Smith and John Carlos are running the 200-meter dash. Smith wins gold, Carlos wins bronze. Another amazing performance. What happens after that? They walk up to receive their medals for the 200-meter dash, wearing black scarves to symbolize lynching, black socks and no shoes to symbolize poverty, and they each wore a black glove from the same set of gloves because Carlos had left his gloves back at the hotel. That's why they each had one glove. That's why they each had one glove, and that's why one athlete raised his left arm to the sky. The other athlete raised his right arm to the sky, which is what they did as they bowed their heads. Do you have any sense if Tommy Smith and John Carlos knew how big of a moment that was in history? At the time, they reported that they were terrified, that they were literally praying um, out of fear that at some point somebody in the audience might pick up a gun and shoot them. We didn't stand there with disrespect. We stood there to say, hey, man, I'm a murderer. I'm your son, and I'm wounded. I'm not wounded for me because I'm one of your heroes. I'm in the Olympics, but I'm wounded for the race. And I'm not talking about the 200 meters. I'm talking about the human race. That's why we went to Mexico City. And what happens to them in the days and the weeks that follow? So a decision is made to send them back to... San Jose straight away, just terminate their participation in the Olympics. Uh, They were basically banned from participating in international track and field events. So that was the end of their careers. These are some of the fastest men on earth. 
They went back, they finished their degrees, uh, but for many, many years they had trouble landing jobs. There was actually a story I read about uh, Smith working at a car wash. Both men eventually became coaches and educators, but it, it took them many, many years, and they became heroes much, much later in the national conversation. Tommy Smith and John Carlos were finally recognized by the Olympics in the 80s after being banned. They were also inducted into the U.S. Track and Field Hall of Fame. Rachel attended a 50th anniversary event at San Jose State this week, where she caught up with Tommy Smith, who's still trying to encourage people to get involved in civil rights. Young folks out there, don't think just because you can run fast, you're going to make a living off of it. No way. You have to get involved in the systematic structure of America to become viable, living forward, doing something. Don't stop. So it's been 50 years since Tommy Smith and John Carlos were standing on that podium and, and raised their fists. And now I know a lot of people are making the comparison to another Bay Area athlete, Colin Kaepernick. Were you able to talk to them at all about that or, or glean any kind of information about that comparison and, and whether they felt that was pretty accurate? If you talk to them and you talk to Dr. Harry Edwards, who's become a celebrated sports sociologist, they see themselves in a long timeline that stretches back far before 1968 and stretches forward to the present day. There was a, a first wave of... Um, academic activism that was framed up by abject segregation. That was uh, uh, people like Jack Johnson and Joe Lewis and Jesse Owens and Paul Robeson. The second wave was post-World uh, War II, and that struggle was for access. That was Jackie Robinson, Larry Doby, Kenny Washington. The third wave was uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, Smith and Carlos, Bill Russell, Jim Brown at that time, most certainly Arthur Ashe, and then the fourth wave is Kaepernick, and what they're really looking at is power. And Dr. Harry Edwards says something really interesting. Um, he sees already that, you know, we have a fifth wave of athletic activism in play. And he says that's focused on gender. It's already happening. We just got to open our eyes to see it. That's what the $5 donated from each WNBA ticket was about. That's what the Me Too movement and its impact did in terms of exposing uh, this uh, uh, sexual assault at the University of Michigan. That's what all of that was about. And the biggest part is to come because of the likely all-out assault. I also talked to Wyomia Tyus of the famed Tennessee University Tiger Bells. She wore black shorts throughout the 1968 Olympics. Uh, she won an award for the 100-meter women's race, lifted her fist up on that podium, and as she puts it, got no press. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> you oh, my know. God. You know, we were up there, and I had my fist up, too, but nobody put it, printed that. And then I also dedicated my medal from the relay team to Carlos and Tommy, and uh, no one's printed that. But uh, they knew, and other people knew, and I think, you know, in movements, everything don't get printed, but you still have to fight for what you believe in. There's no question that it's, it's taken more years for women to gain the same respect and rights 
that men have enjoyed for decades in athletics, and they're getting there. And, you know, if you ask Dr. Harry Edwards, they're going to dominate the conversation in the years to come. Rachel Myro covers Silicon Valley for KQED. This episode was produced by Peter Arcuni, Monica Semayoa, and editor Vinny Tong. KQED's podcast coordinator is Julie Kane. Senior editors are Ethan Lindsay and Holly Kernan. Our theme music is by Dowd Anthony. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you next week. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.